pretty intense. I, I, every time I see it, I'm like, yes, yes, that's like an awesome movie trailer. So uh, one, only one more week of that, uh, unfortunately. But uh, hey, well, it is good to see each one of you this morning, even though it was cloudy when I woke up and the rain was still falling even after yesterday. Um, but it is, a, it is a wonderful day to worship God, to gather together, and to sing praises to his name, and also to open his word. So if you're new with us this morning, you might not know that we are in the middle of a series, a four-week series. We're halfway through in Jonah 3, uh, and uh, we have one week left after this week. But we're, uh, Jonah was an Old Testament prophet, uh, and this story is not necess- it's unique in that it's not necessarily about the message uh, itself that Jonah has to bring, but it's about Jonah's story, and it's uh, written for the benefit of the Jewish people. So let me ask you something. Do you have a group of people in your life that you have to occasionally interact with uh, that you really wish you didn't have to interact with? Yeah, you know what I'm talking about, don't you? Or maybe there's certain type of personality that just rubs you the wrong way that you have to spend time around, and it just, you really struggle, and they just, yeah, there's something about that person or that personality type. Or maybe people of a certain background that you really struggle to relate with, um, much less even talk to somebody, but you know somebody comes from a background, and you're just like, I don't even know. I don't even know what to talk to you about because you just completely are off the radar for me. So, hey, thank you. That'll be important. Uh, so, so I have a confession to make. Um, I have struggled in the past to be around people that have kind of like a rough exterior. You know what I'm talking about? So um, I'm going to make some sweeping generalizations for a second, okay, um, about people. Uh, the, t- the, the type, like motorcycle gang, okay, can you picture in your mind leather jacket, like, you know, beard, you know, the, the do-rag? I don't know. Uh, so that, that type, uh, heavy metal rock concerts, the people you see there. I've really struggled with that type of person. Goth, okay, I, I really struggled to relate to and talk with those and even understand those people. And the list goes on. You kind of get the idea. I struggle with them. And... Um, I uh, don't really, I can't give you a specific reason as to why I struggle uh, with, with uh, those type of people. Um, it might be just the stark contrast between the way they choose to outwardly present themselves uh, and the way that I choose to outwardly present myself. Um, it could be a difference in values. Um, I don't know because I don't know what they value necessarily. Um, but you know what's weird? As I was just thinking about this, I've noticed that as I've lived life, it hasn't magically gotten easier to connect with people that are different from me. Has anybody else noticed that? It, is, it, is, it just doesn't like all of a sudden get easier to connect with people that you have nothing in common with. Uh, in fact, I've noticed if I'm left to my own propensities, that if I'm not challenged to go outside of my comfort zone, I will spend my entire life only ever talking to people who are exactly like me. They're conservative, they're white, they're clean cut, they're raised in Idaho, they're evangelical Christian. I'll never talk to anybody else. It's comfortable, right? It's comfortable. I'll talk to people who are like me. So my question for you, do you struggle with something like that? Do you struggle to go outside of your comfort zone and talk to people who are different from you? Maybe people you don't even like. Maybe people who are radically different from you in background, values, lifestyle, and uh, just, uh, just talking with them, much less spending time with them, might be difficult for us. Um, 
the question we have to ask ourselves, is there anything wrong with that in and of itself? And if you're a follower of Jesus, the next question you should ask yourself is, well, I don't know, what does the Bible have to say about that? And so, uh, so we find ourselves um, with Jonah. And he's in a spot where he's been called to go to people that are not just different from himself, but they're his enemies. And he's supposed to preach a message of repentance to them. All right? The Ninevites were not only pagans, but they were a direct threat to the Israelites themselves. Uh, everything about them was reprehensible to Jonah. So I make that statement, and you may be going, well, we haven't read that yet. Um, how do I know that? Well, I think there's a little bit of a hint in the next chapter that I don't get to preach on today, chapter 4. So I read ahead a little bit, and I encourage you to read ahead every single week because it helps with your understanding. But it's clear in chapter 4 that Jonah does not have any strong love for these people. So... Uh, So in chapter 1, we find Jonah being called by God to go to the city of Nineveh. And he's supposed to preach a message of repentance. And after watching that video we just watched a couple minutes ago, you all know what happened. He turned and he ran the other direction, right? He did not obey God. I think what happened next was a miracle, though if it happened to me, I probably wouldn't think it was much of a miracle. I would think it's a disaster. Jonah hopped on a boat in his attempt to get away from God's command to preach. And God caused a great storm. Right? So this great storm, uh, once it became obvious that the person to blame for the storm was Jonah himself, he volunteered himself to be thrown overboard to stop the storm. And so the crew throws him overboard, after which he was swallowed by a great fish. So that's what happens. He spends three days and three nights in the fish undergoing some serious reflection. I know that I would be undergoing some serious reflection if I was in the belly of a fish. Uh, After three days and nights, Jonah, he cries out to God in humility, and the fish vomits Jonah up on dry ground. And then here is what happens next. Maybe. Can you hit the next slide for me, please? Yeah, there we go. The word of the Lord came to Jonah a second time. Get up, go to the great city of Nineveh, and preach the message that I tell you. So we're right back where we started, right? Um, We find ourselves at a point where Jonah is once again called to go to the people he does not want to go to. With that said, I think it would be really important for us to pray before we really dive in. So let's, let's bow our heads. Father God, thank you so much for your word. It is powerful. It is effective. It changes our lives. And as we are challenged this morning by Jonah's story in chapter 3. I pray, Lord, that we would be receptive to that. Open our hearts. Not only help us be easily edified, but help us to be easily convicted of those areas where we need to grow. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. So, we find ourselves at the beginning of chapter 3, and we begin to realize something amazing about the God that Jonah serves and the God that we serve too. God is a God of second chances. He's not just powerful, and he's not just able to accomplish whatever he wants. We begin to see something about God's heart for people in these two verses. Uh, We begin to see this. God's heart to reach people who don't know him will move forward with you or without you, but he wants to do it with you. I'm going to read it again. God's heart to reach people who don't know him will move forward with or without you, but he wants to do it with you. God can accomplish whatever he wants, 
but he wants to do it with you. We see this amazing truth over and over again in the story of Jonah, and not just Jonah, but in countless other lives uh, throughout biblical history. We see it time and time again. God delights in using his people to reach those who are lost. He wants to use you, and he wants to use me. And so we see this in Jonah's life. You know, it's tempting for us to think, this is just kind of a side note, it's tempting for us to think that God is somehow angry with Jonah, that he's frustrated. And uh, that could be true as we're reading this text, but it's never explicitly stated by the text that God is angry with Jonah. Uh, We can't read something into the text that isn't there. God is not characterized as angry with Jonah's disobedience even once. He does some extreme things, okay? I will grant you that. He does some extreme things on get, in getting Jonah back on track into what he wants Jonah to do, to Jonah's calling to go to the Ninevites. But he doesn't show anger towards Jonah. Do you know who is angry? Jonah. He's angry. Uh, do you know how I know? Because I read ahead. Chapter 4. He's angry. Uh, And so Pastor Ryan will hit more on that next week. But for now, just know that God deals with Jonah in a way that is extremely patient. He could have just said, zap, Jonah, you're gone. And I'm going to appoint a new prophet to Nineveh. But he doesn't. He uses all of these things to get Jonah back on track. He uses what he knows will be effective in Jonah's life to shape his heart to become more like his heart for the Ninevites. Uh, And Jonah is like kicking and screaming the whole way. There's evidence of this in his life, though. So remember in chapter 1, again, his response to to God's call to go, what did he do? He ran. Now we're in chapter 3. We see that God is a God of second chances because once again God is saying, go. Okay, he's been vomited up on the beach. Okay, Jonah, now go. Let's take a look what Jonah's response is. Jonah got up and went to Nineveh according to the Lord's command. And now Nineveh was an extremely great city, a three-day walk. Jonah set out on the first day of his walk in the city and proclaimed, in 40 days, Nineveh will be demolished. So do you see what's happened? So God used these catastrophes in Jonah's life to shape his heart. God has a heart to reach the people of Nineveh. And so he wants to use Jonah to, do, to reach the people of Nineveh. Uh, Jonah tries to run, hits a big fish, gets thrown up on the beach. Jonah's at least now getting the idea, though. God wants to use him to reach the Ninevites, right? That is his calling. He wants to use Jonah. So let me ask you something. Application point we could draw from this. When God clearly lays out a path in front of you and you choose to do something the opposite of what is God's clear will for you, and you suffer the consequences, how do you respond to that? I, listen, when bad things happen to me and frustrating things that are clearly my fault, I tend to take the victim mentality. I'm like, why is this happening to me? Uh, why is this happening to me? Well, it's because of the choices that I have made. Um, Jonah learned something in this instance. When God calls you to do something, you do it, Right? So these catastrophes God was actually using to shape Jonah, to shape his perspective. And Jonah is still fighting it every step of the way. But you see that God is gradually shaping Jonah's heart. Jonah is now ready to obey God, whereas before he was disobeying God. It's a gradual change. It's a, it's a very minor change. Even if Jonah's heart is still not in the right place, he's now like, well, okay, God, I'll obey you. 
God wants to use him. When God calls you to do something, you do it. That was, that was Jonah's lesson. The question is, what lessons is God trying to teach you? What have you gone through? And what is God trying to teach you through those things? So we find Jonah going to Nineveh according to God's command. The thing that happens next in the story, I think, is not only a surprise to Jonah, but it would be a surprise to just about any Jew. Um, keep in mind that the Ninevites, they're pagans, right? Uh, they're they're no, uh, in the north. They're pagans. They're part of the Assyrian Empire. Many people think that the king of uh, Nineveh was the, the, king, the actual king of the entire Assyrian Empire. Um, but they, they not only don't worship the one true God, but they worship other gods proudly and openly. They're idolaters, they're unrighteous, and they're enemies of Israel. Uh, they're an in, imminent threat to the people of God. Uh, and yet, and yet, we see God's heart in wanting to show mercy to them by sending Jonah to warn them of their impending destruction. So Jonah does. He brings the warning to them, and here's what we see happen next. Let's go ahead and read this together. It says, Then the people of Nineveh believed God. They proclaimed, and fast, uh, they proclaimed a fast and dressed in sackcloth, from the greatest of them to the least. When word reached the king of Nineveh, he got up from his throne, took off his royal robe, put on sackcloth, and sat in ashes. Then he issued a decree in Nineveh. Go ahead and hit the next slide. By order of the king and his nobles, no person or animal, herd or flock, is to taste anything at all. They must not drink water. And I'm going to just find my notes on here because my clicker is not working. Go ahead and hit the next slide. Furthermore, both people and animals must be covered with sackcloth, and everyone must call out earnestly to God. Each must turn from his evil ways and from his wrongdoing. Who knows? God may relent, and he may turn from his burning anger so that we will not perish. So uh, two important things as we're studying scripture uh, that I always try to ask myself, and then are just a, really a common practice as you're studying scripture, trying to understand what does this mean for us? What does this mean to uh, the original audience? Um, one is, who was it written to? And the second is, why was it written to them? So we call it the audience and the purpose. There's almost unanimous agreement among both conservative and critical scholars that Jonah was written to a Jewish audience. That's... Uh, that's who it was written to, and it was written to them for a very specific reason. And I'm going to get to that, but we're going to take a long detour. Uh, the reason that it was written is very, is very, very important. Um, but before I give you that, I'm going to read several other passages of Scripture. So in Deuteronomy, after summarizing everything God has done for the nation of Israel, um, he, he, he states they're recipients of great blessing. Uh, they are recipients of honor and wealth and land. Here's what he says to them in Deuteronomy. You may say to yourself, my power and my own ability have gained this wealth for me. But remember that the Lord your God gives you the power to gain wealth in order to confirm his covenant he swore to your fathers as it is today. And then a little bit later in Deuteronomy 9, he says, uh, it says this. When the Lord your God drives them out before you, talking about the people that were uh, in the land before Israel... When the Lord God, your God, drives them out before you, do not say to yourself, the Lord brought me in to take possessions of this land because of my righteousness. Instead, the Lord will drive out these nations before you because of their wickedness. 
you are not going to take possession of their land because of your righteousness or your integrity. Instead, the Lord your God will drive out these nations before you because of their wickedness in order to fulfill the promise he swore to your fathers, Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. Understand that the Lord your God is not giving you this land to possess because of your righteousness, for you are a stiff-necked people, which is just a way of saying you are arrogant, you are proud, you think you're righteous, but you are not in the eyes of God. So these passages, they're, they're important because they're a reminder about God's heart. We're going to find out that Jonah looked down on the Ninevites. Okay? He was frustrated that God wanted him to preach a message of repentance in the first place. And in this attitude, I think Jonah betrays himself. And it's really clear as we move on in the story that, uh, that this is his attitude and it is not God's heart he shows that he believes that somehow God should work according to his standards of who is worthy and who is not worthy to receive God's truth and his message. But he forgot one simple fact. There is no one who is worthy. There is no person who is worthy. The only reason God chose Israel is out of grace. Jonah being a part of Israel. The only reason Jonah was a was part of the people of God are because of grace, not out of righteousness. Jonah thought that somehow the Ninevites were undeserving and he would be right. But the people of Israel were also equally undeserving of God's promises. They had zero righteousness. They had zero merit. They had nothing to present before a God who is holy and righteous. And let me tell you something. We are saved by the grace of God too. We have absolutely zero merit. We have absolutely zero righteousness. We have no claim by which we can come before God who is holy, righteous, just, and true. But here's the miracle. God does not deal with us according to what justice demands. He is a just God, but he doesn't deal with us according to that justice. Instead, he deals with us according to who he is. Stick with me. This is really, really important, and I think it helps us understand the heart of God and the heart of God for the Ninevites in Jonah's story even. If you don't know this God, who he is, I'll start with when he first revealed himself to Moses at the burning bush. Who's heard of the burning bush? Seen the Prince of Egypt? You've heard of the burning bush, okay? Awesome, awesome movie. Love it. Um, Here's what he said at the burning bush to Moses. I will, uh, Moses said, I want to see your glory, God. To which God replied, I will cause all my goodness to pass in front of you, and I will proclaim the name the Lord, Yahweh, before you. I will be gracious to whom I will be gracious, and I will have compassion on whom I will have compassion. And then later in Exodus 34, he, uh, the Lord passes in front of him and he proclaims this. The Lord, the, the Lord is a compassionate and gracious God, slow to anger, abounding in faithful love and truth, maintaining faithful love to a thousand generations, forgiving iniquity, rebellion, and sin. But he will not leave the guilty unpunished, bringing the father's iniquity on the children and grandchildren to the third and fourth generation. That's how God, when he first revealed himself established his relationship with Israel. He was a God who is compassionate and gracious. He's a God who uh, will be gracious to whom he will be gracious. He will have compassion on whom he will have compassion. That is, that is up to God. And he deals with people based on his own character. And thank God he doesn't deal with people based on their merit because we have zero merit. So why do I bring this up? Let me boil it down for us. We don't get to choose whom we think is worthy. 
all are equally unworthy and undeserving. All we need to know is that we have been given a great gift of salvation in Jesus and that we are called to go by God and share that good news. Jesus himself, uh, Jesus himself gave us the great commission, right? So Matthew 28, 18 through 20 says this, all authority has been given to me in heaven and on earth. Go therefore and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe everything I have commanded you. And remember, I am with you always to the end of the age. And I wanna share with you a passage. I know we're hitting a lot of scripture here. Um, you can have it later if you'd like. Um, I can give you the notes, but, uh, but this is really important. Second Peter 3, 9, the Lord does not delay in his promise as some understand delay, but is patient with you, not wanting any to perish, but all to come to repentance. God desires that all should come to repentance. Now that doesn't mean that all will come to repentance and faith in Jesus Christ and trust in God, but that's God's desire is that all would. So God looks on Nineveh and he has not anger for them, but compassion. That is God's heart. And one commentator puts it this way. I'd like, I think he puts it better than, than I could ever. So I wanna read this to you. All of God's activities in this book, talking about Jonah, proceeded from this basic attitude. We might conclude that God sent Jonah to preach against Nineveh only because he was angry with it, but uh, because of its sin. Certainly it was under his judgment for its sins. But the last verse, which is next week, so don't miss it. The last verse of Jonah reveals the underlying motive of God, his compassion. So his heart for those that are headed for destruction is compassionate. That's God's heart. He's not willing that any should perish, but that all should come to repentance and faith in him. So my question for you is, have you trusted in Christ this morning? Uh, this message is not primarily about the, the message of repentance that Jonah brings to the Ninevites, but the, the message still stands. Uh, we are absolutely sinners. The Bible says that all of us, you and me included, are sinners. And we have fallen short of the glory of God. That's straight out of Romans. The Bible says that all of us, you and me, are to receive the payment for sin, which is death, straight out of Romans. But if you think that God is angry with you, consider this fact for just a moment. God isn't willing that any should perish. I believe in God's sovereignty. And so I believe that God brought you today here right now that you're sitting in the chair you're sitting in and you are hearing this and he saw your need that you're in sin and you're under judgment because of your sin. But he looks on you with compassion and he says, I give you a gift. It's my son, Jesus Christ. We sing about that this time of year all the time. Why did he come? Why was he born? I give you a gift, my son, Jesus Christ, who will take the judgment for you. You should receive judgment for your sin. That is what justice is. But Jesus Christ steps in and he says, I'm taking the judgment for you. Place your life, place your trust in my life, my death, my resurrection, and you will become righteous in the sight of God. That is, that's the gospel. That is, he will make you clean. He will make you white as snow. Um, this book, again, isn't primarily about the message to the Ninevites, but it, that is a good message. And my question for you is, are you sitting there and maybe you feel like a Ninevite today? <laughs> um, there's times I felt like a Ninevite. It's like, why won't that person talk to me? Um, know that God loves you. 
and he has compassion on you. And he wants to offer you forgiveness and life in Jesus. That is something that God wants to see for you. He's offering that as a free gift. Uh, you know, Jesus himself talks about Jonah. Pastor Ryan, I think, has brought it up in the last couple of weeks. weeks. Uh, Jesus is talking uh, with those who are considered the Pharisees, or the, the religious leaders of the day. They're called the Pharisees. Uh, and uh, they're also seen as those who are, maybe have it all together, who are righteous and, uh, and are leading and they're teaching uh, God's word. And they say to him, they say to Jesus, give us a sign, Jesus. That's all they say. Give us a sign. And here's what Jesus has to say to them. Go ahead and hit that, Tim. Thank you. An evil and adulterous generation demands a sign, but no sign will be given to it except the sign of the prophet Jonah. For as Jonah was in the belly of the huge fish three days and three nights, so the Son of Man will be in the heart of the earth three days and three nights. The men of Nineveh will stand up at the judgment with this generation and condemn it because they repented at Jonah's preaching. And look, something greater than Jonah is here. That is an amazing statement to make to Jewish leaders. I found myself asking why Jesus specifically said the men of Nineveh were the ones that will judge these people. It's kind of a weird, it's kind of a weird statement to make. Um, you can kind of see why he's, you know, he, uh, like analogizing himself with Jonah. Um, but the men of Nineveh are going to judge the Pharisees, the teachers, the, the generation of Jesus. Why? I think that uh, Jonah, sent by God, brought a message of impending judgment to the Ninevites and a call to repent. So you've got Jonah. They responded by believing and repenting. And we've got over here one who is greater, that's Jesus, was sent by God to bring a message of judgment, but also life and hope to his own people, okay? They're not strangers. They're his own people, the people of God. And what did they do? They rejected Jesus and they rejected his message. Where the Ninevites believed and repented and were saved from their impending destruction, the people of Israel did not believe, they did not repent, and they stand condemned. That's what Jesus is talking about here. What? Okay, so that, that's kind of a doom and gloom thing, right? It's like, oh man, why do you bring that up? That is an amazing statement, and here's why. Jesus is making a very clear statement. Believe in me and my message, and you will be saved. You want a sign? I'm going to die. I'm going to be in the ground three days, and then I'm going to rise again. That's what Jesus is saying. Believe in me. Have faith in me. Repent and trust in the grace, the free gift of salvation that I am offering you. I can make you right with the Father. And so I want to wrap back around again. That was like the longest detour in the world, wasn't it? I want to wrap back around again to the two questions that we ask when we're studying a passage of Scripture. Who was it written to? Jonah was written to the Jews. There's widespread agreement on that. The second question is, why was it written? So I think it should be already apparent, but will become even more obvious next week. But the purpose that's widely agreed upon um, is, is stated really well by a commentator, and it's this. The purpose of the book is not the message to the Ninevites. Rather, the book is written about Jonah's story and for the benefit of a Jewish audience. His pur- or its purpose is to illustrate God's grace to the Gentiles in face of his people's refusal to fulfill their mission to them. God's grace 
was extended to the most hostile and aggressive of Israel's Gentile neighbors, the Assyrians. Surprisingly, they were even more responsive to God's messenger than was Israel, all to the chagrin of Jonah. So uh, God calls his people to make himself known to others. And in this instance, Jonah was called to make God known and his purposes and the impending destruction to give them a chance to repent to the Ninevites. You are called. I am called to make God known to others. Uh, If you're a follower of Jesus, you have the Holy Spirit dwelling within you, okay? You trust Jesus. The Holy Spirit dwells in your heart, dwells in your life, is a part of who you are, and you have absolutely everything that you need to share the gospel with somebody else at that point. If you believe in Jesus, you've believed and trusted the gospel, you have the Holy Spirit dwelling within you, you have everything that you need to share the gospel of our compassionate God to a world that's dying. There's people, I just want to take a sidestep for a second, there are people outside that door who are dying spiritually, They don't know it. Some of them don't know it at all. They're going about their lives. They don't know that they're dying. They need to hear about judgment. There are some people that know that something's wrong, but uh, they don't have any hope. There's no hope because they haven't heard the message of the gospel. Some of them know that something is wrong. They're without hope. So the question is this, do you struggle with sharing the hope that's within you? If you have everything you need, are you a Jonah? Do you hear the call and yet fail to act? I'm speaking to myself right now a little bit, okay? There are, uh, I would say more often than not, I fail to share the gospel when I feel that prod to share the gospel. Um, When I know I should share the gospel, I'm talking to somebody that I'm just a little uncomfortable with this situation. Um. And sometimes it's my own family members. I think you know what I'm talking about. Um, It's hard at times. Uh, Why is that? Why if we have everything that we need, God has equipped us to share hope, that he's compassionate, that he's offering a way out of judgment, do we struggle to share? I ran across a guy who has a theory. If you can hit that slide, Tim. It's a long quote, so I wanted you to be able to see it. Uh, He says this, The church's failure in evangelism and missions is not due primarily to our failure to know God and his compassion. We know him. We have even experienced his compassion in our own lives. Our failure is due mainly to our dislike for those under God's judgment, our Ninevites. Perhaps we need to admit that we really do not want to see the world saved. The evidence of this is that we are much happier enjoying the spiritual comforts of being God's chosen people than we are reaching out to the lost. Some Christians hate the lost, just as Jonah did. Why do we not reach out to the city in which we live? Perhaps it is because we do not like the people who live there. That is extremely convicting. I read that and I went, okay, God. Perhaps I don't like the people. People are dying, and yet I fail to give them the way out. God's heart to reach people who don't know him will move forward with or without you, but he wants to do it with you. 
God delights in using us. He wants to use us. He longs. He doesn't want us to just walk in step and do it out of rote obligation, though. He wants our heart to match his heart for the lost. And his heart, when he looks on people that are dead in their sin, that are wallowing in drug use, people that are participating in all manner of uh, sexual immorality, people that uh, leave their families, that lie, that cheat, that steal, people that live their lives in selfishness and shame, and people that mess up time and again and again and again, he looks on those people and he has compassion for them. And my question for, for you and for myself as I read this text is, do we have compassion for them? God has compassion for them. Keep in mind that if you were a follower of Jesus, you were once that way. I was once that way. That was us. But then we were saved and we were made new. And Jesus Christ began changing us and making us more like our Savior. It's, uh, it's by grace and mercy that we aren't that way any longer. That that should resonate with us because we want to take that hope to others. Do you have compassion for those who are dying? Speak the truth to them and speak it in love is what we're called to do by Jesus himself. So we've had Jonah's obedience uh, to the call of God now in chapter three. Uh, We have the Ninevites who respond uh, in belief and repentance. And now we see God's response to the repentance of the Ninevites. So let's go ahead and take a look at it in verse 10. God saw their actions that they had turned from their evil ways. So God relented from the disaster he had threatened them with, and he did not do it. Uh, I was looking into uh, the, the original language here a little bit, and uh, that, that word relent in Hebrew has this connotation that means being relieved and comforted. It's kind of like uh, God sighed in relief when the Ninevites repented. I think that's there for our benefit, okay? We need to understand that God delights in showing mercy. That's part of who he is. He stated it himself to Moses. He delights in showing mercy. He's a God that is slow to anger, compassionate, gracious, and abounding in steadfast love. Um, so the question is at this point, what do we, what do we do with all of this? Uh, how do we apply this to our lives? And so, um, apparently the lights are turning off. I don't know. Can you hit, there's a quick screen. You can just turn it back on for me there, but, uh, uh, I'll keep moving. Uh, so a couple things that I want to challenge us with, uh, this week, think through, uh, who might be Nineveh to you. Begin praying that your heart would match God's compassionate heart for them and challenge yourself to take practical steps towards sharing Jesus with them. Um, Listen, it's not enough to just pray. Prayer is powerful and effective. I believe that it changes lives. I know that it changes lives. I've seen it change lives. But God is not just calling you to pray for the next 30 years. He wants you to actually step out in faith, trusting that he has given you everything that you need to share the gospel. And so you and me together, we need to commit to sharing our faith with whoever is our Ninevite in our life. Share with them because we, have, we, we need to have a compassionate heart. So that's part of what prayer is for. God, soften my heart to this person. Give me a compassionate heart for them. And then challenge yourself to take a practical step towards sharing Jesus with them. And then... Uh, 
I think it was last week or the week before we shared that in May, uh, Harvest Boise is coming. Um, but uh, we don't want it to just be one of those things. If you need details on it, I can give you details. Uh, basically, it's uh, an opportunity for you to invite a friend or family member or coworker who is not a believer to come and hear the gospel in a um, in, in kind of a low key setting uh, where there's some music and the gospel is presented very clearly. It's kind of just a it's it's in the what used to be the Taco Bell Arena, so it is uh, it's not a um, it's not really intimidating. Maybe like coming to a church service, right? So it's a little different setting. Uh, people are more receptive, but. What I have here is a bookmark. May is a long ways off. That gives us a lot of time to be praying for that person that we're going to invite later. Okay, don't invite them yet. Start praying for them. This bookmark, there's a spot to write down uh, a family member, a friend, a neighbor, a coworker, and an other. Maybe that's your Ninevite, I don't know. Um, So you could write down those names, and then it has steps here. And I'm not going to read it all, but pray, invite, bring, and serve. And then uh, at the bottom, there's a spot for you to write the names again. And in January, uh, we're going to ask you to bring, tear off the bottom, bring them with you, drop them into a jar. And the staff and elders and deacons in involved church want to be praying alongside you for those people too. Um, so these are available. They're going to be handed out at the end. Um, want to encourage you to write people, people down and start praying for them. Try to do it weekly if you can. If not more frequently, pray for these people. Uh, I believe that a large part of our hesitancy to share is spiritual warfare. We need to be praying. We need to be praying. And so with that said, um, begin thinking about people that you can share with, that you can invite in May, and that you can write down your bookmark. Be thinking about who is an Ninevite in your life. I'm going to give you a couple minutes to do that and to pray. At the end here, we're going to have people on the wings to pray with you. Um, If you're struggling with something, maybe not related to this message at all, if you're struggling with anything, we want to pray with you. Um, Those people are there to pray with you. Um, If you'd like to talk to a pastor, you can let us know through the hub as well. Um, That's that's available too. And so I'm going to give you a couple minutes to pray, and then we'll sing a final song together.